Welcome to Shelter and Solidarity, a deep dive with artists and activists during this ongoing COVID pandemic. I'm your host, Joe Ramsey, Zoom casting with you here from Dorchester, Massachusetts, on the south side of Boston. Um, now in, I don't even know what month it is, I guess we can call it the second year of this pandemic. Um, we are here on Zoom, and if you do have, um, if you are on our live Zoom audience, please do make sure to mute yourself so that we don't uh, see anything that uh, we're not planning to see. Here we have a, but here in our first 2021 show in Shelter and Solidarity, our 31st show, we're so lucky to be joined by three terrific guests and a great respondent to explore a theme that I know many of us can relate to, the theme being socialist hopes versus American realities. In the yawning gap between the crisis of the economy, the environment, the very survival of the species on one hand and the ruling class responses on the other, is there space for socialist solutions and the movements that can deliver them? How do we build bridges between the actuality we are faced with in the United States of America in 2021 and that world that we want to see and that we believe humanity, in fact, needs to thrive and perhaps even to survive? We'll be pursuing these and other questions with a thoughtful and diverse group of activist intellectuals, starting with Elgier Hawkins. Elgier, um, just to, so people can see you at home, uh, welcome. How you doing? Good, we can only see people when we hear them here on Shelter and Solidarity in the world of Zoom. Elgier Hawkins is a community and anti-war activist born and raised in Harlem, New York, member of Socialist Alternative for the past 21 years, the entire 21st century in SA and the Committee for Workers International. He has toured internationally, invited to address audiences from South Africa to Ireland, Brazil, and Belgium on the black struggle in the United States. Algier has been involved in the recent Black Lives Matter movement, as well as the fight for the $15 an hour minimum wage. And currently, Algier is a non-union healthcare worker in New York City and has published in venues including Truth Out. Again, Algier, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Our next speaker to kick things off will be Liza Featherstone, returning to Shelter and Solidarity, actually after a relatively brief respite. You were you actually on our, on our last show of 2020, and you're back for more already. I guess you don't know how to say no to a good Zoom cast, huh? Uh, Liza, it's so great to have you back and to see you again. Uh, Liza, for those who don't know, is a journalist based in New York City as well, uh, a contributing writer to The Nation magazine as well as to Jacobin, a proud member, last time we checked anyway, in Democratic Socialists of America. She's co-author of Students Against Sweatshops, and the author of Selling Women Short, The Landmark Battle for Workers' Rights at Walmart, as well as Divining Desire, Focus Groups, and the Culture of Consultation. She is also the editor of False Choices, a collection on the faux feminism of Hillary Clinton. Liza, thanks for coming back. Can we actually hear you? Make sure we can hear you when you, yeah. Yeah, uh, we were all muted, um, but um, now I'm- There you go. Oh, you were for coercively muted. Sometimes yes, we bring out the big guns here yes. <laughs> on these, these rowdy crowds, these socialist crowds. Uh, Liza, it's great to have you back. Last, but certainly not least, we have Kazembe Balagun joining us for the first time. Kazembe, it's great to finally meet you, not just over the phone uh, and not just over uh, various text and digital platforms. And again, uh, Kazembe, we can only hear you when you're unmuted. Uh, Kazembe is a cultural historian, activist, writer, 
uh, from Harlem, New York City. From 2018 to 2013, he serves as the Director of Outreach and Education at the Brecht Forum in New York, where he helped bring together performance art, LGBT history, film, and jazz with Marxism and the Black radical tradition. He is a frequent contributor to the Independent, uh, new, the Independent with a Y out of New York City, where he published uh, his the last interview of Octavia Butler. Um, and uh, most recently, he's been, uh, he has an essay in a, in a book volume, finally got the news, the printed legacy of the radical left. He was a member of the Red Channels Film Collective and has presented at Metrograph, Brooklyn a Academy of Music and other, other events. He currently serves as the project manager with the Rosa Luxemburg Stiftung out of New York and is working on a project looking at uncovering the history of the black commune. Finally, our fourth guest will be in the form of a respondent, also returning to Shelter and Solidarity, Victor Wallace, my dear Boston area-based, Somerville-based comrade. Victor, the longtime managing editor of the journal Socialism and Democracy, as well as the author of at least three books, including uh, Red Green Revolution, a book about uh, science, technology, and eco-socialist transformation, as well as Democracy Denied, a terrific book I recently assigned in a class I taught at UMass Boston. And last but not least, his most recent book, which I highly recommend uh, on socialist practice, theories and histories. Victor, thanks for joining us once again. Thanks, Joe. It's good to be here. Great. So I want to kick it off and just turn it over to our this great panel of guests. And as always, I want to recommend, I want to remind rather, everyone on this call, we will be opening things up 45 minutes to an hour in. So your questions, comments can go in the chat box now and you'll have a chance to speak them aloud or have, have me or another moderator uh, speak them aloud if you'd like to participate in the discussion. But first, let's go in the order I introduced you, go to Algier uh, first. And Algier, I mean, this really is the question for all of you. I asked you to just kind of step, you all step into the big picture of 2021 as we start this year. This year, so much has happened already, even since we planned this show. Um, the show. The storming of the Capitol uh, was not something we had anticipated when, uh, when, we, when we cast this show. Uh, we weren't even sure if it would be Biden or Trump in the White House, uh, but we, we know a little more now, but there's still a lot that, that is, is uncertain. So, you know, uh, Algier, how does 2021 look to you? How do you see, as a socialist activist, writer, organizer, how do you see the, the dangers, the opportunities, and the obstacles to achieving those opportunities from a left perspective entering this new year? Well, I see 2021 as a continuum of 2019 and certainly 2020. Uh, 2019 highlighted by the fact of uh, struggle, social struggle around the world, rebellions, counter-revolution in a number of countries. In 2020, um, many people would have thought, what about the United States? Where will we see the United States in this process? And certainly with COVID-19, the George Floyd rebellion, uh, the economic recession, the great economic recession, um, I think it has brought to life a number of key, key elements that I think the socialist left and the workers' movement will have to begin to address in a more serious way, from climate to education, jobs, and healthcare. And so the idea of the socialist alternative, I think, is alive and well. But I think the discussion has to be about strategy now, about political perspectives, analysis. Where does the ascendancy of Biden really represent not just uh, what he wants to do, but what is the state? Of, of the so the, the, the developing socialist left, and where is the labor movement today? It will be that will be the key decisive factor. I would argue 
uh, in the sense of really reshaping what 2020, what 2021 will be in the sense of social struggle, of, of organizing, of strategy and approach that puts the working class at the center of events. Um, and, and, and I think if we don't really grapple with that, I think we're not we're going to be prone to make some really uh, difficult and, and, and problematic mistakes uh, going forward. Elgier, could I ask you to elaborate just a little bit before we go to Liza on what you see as some of those dangers, or you know, th that the left might make if it does not put the working class at the center? As you, I wonder if you could elaborate a little more on what you see, what it means to put the working class at the center in the way that you just uh, you just asserted. Right. I mean, if we, we, we can think about the George Floyd Rebellion, um, the first iteration of BLM from 2014 to 2016 certainly gave us a number of reforms uh, like body cameras in 24 states uh, throughout the nation. Um, and certainly the George Floyd Rebellion uh, really began to, to heighten the question around police budgets and budgetary concerns and, and, and priorities, uh, public spending and social spending for working people in the poor, particularly that of black and brown youth and workers. Since the rebellion, we've seen the movement at this juncture in the ebb, in a low moment. And in many ways, we saw how corporate America gave out basically $2 billion uh, to various BLM affiliate organizations or racial justice networks. And so in many ways, those budgetary concerns uh, around police budgets was left in the hands basically of the faux progressives of various cities and states. It was left in the hands of city councils, uh, like in Minneapolis and Seattle, that did not take on the demands of the movement. And in many ways, we the movement is immaturity in, in the sense of developing the type of leadership, the type of sustaining organization necessary to take those type of demands into the community itself, among black workers, among black youth, to have a dialogue. How do we actually win a 50% decrease in police budgets here in New York. It's a $5.9 billion uh, uh, budget. Um, and frankly, all we got at the end of the rebellion was just one, uh, basically $1 billion that was just uh, uh, turned around and moved around, but nothing concrete came out of that in the sense of victories for the uh, coming out of the rebellion. Yeah, that's really interesting, Elgier. You know, I think I appreciate you elaborating that. I mean, it, I mean, it reminds me as we transition to, to Liza here also, I mean, of course, the Biden administration has pronounced a racial equity, you know, agenda, right, across departments and, of course, has received a lot of press for its various appointments, right? It's kind of, it's historically diverse appointments to, to various branches of government. Uh, Liza, I'd like to pitch it to you, not to not to hem you in with the make you be the one that talks about the Biden administration. Although you have published on it recently, um, you know, in the at least the initial left gestures or left act. You know, I don't want to say just gestures, but the some of the early moments of the Biden administration have have perked up interest among some on the left. Uh, how do you anal analyze the moment we're in? Uh, if you want to address the Biden administration off the bat, that's that's great. But if you'd like to frame it more broadly, I, I certainly don't want to hem you in in that way. Uh, how do you read 2021 as we are still at the, the end of the beginning of, of this new year? Make sure to unmute. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, first of all, I, I would say um, our, um, I mean, it's in some ways our task as, as socialism, our socialists as, is always the same, you know, that we need to, um, we, we need to build, we need to build our organizations. 
I mean that, that I mean that, and that's um, almost, I think, one of the most important things things you can do right now is um, if you're a socialist, join an organization, um, any good and thriving socialist organization, um, and um, and help build it. Um, and um, and um, if you're um, in a workplace, um, you know, and there's an opportunity to organize your workplace, um, organize your workplace. I mean, these are the things that we always need to do. And, um, and we live in such an, an interesting time that sometimes we don't, you know, talk about, you know, that the, we, we don't necessarily talk enough about the fact that the, the things that we need to do, uh, there are certain things we need to do that are just constant, you know, the things that we always need to do. Um, that said, there are a lot of really uh, <laughs> particular things going on at this moment. Um, the, um, I think the storming of the Capitol um, is important. I think that um, I, th I think that there um, there really is um, a um, a grassroots um, fascist um, movement in the United States with um, with some um, real friends within the state. Um, we've just um, ejected through the democratic process um, the top friend um, in the form of Donald Trump, but, um, but I, I don't think he, he's not, he's clearly not the only one. Um, there are um, quite a few in Congress as well. Um, and, um, and I think that that's, um, that's a, a serious challenge. And, and I think that um, um, I certainly don't think anybody here feels this way, but, um, but I think, I, I think there are certainly some on the left that you know, view that as kind of a distraction or a liberal problem, or you know, or or just a. Um, um, but you know, make no mistake, um, they're coming for us. You know, I mean, they they're um, these white nationalists are not just, um, you know, they're um, they're not they don't just perceive Nancy Pelosi and the neoliberal um, Democrats as their enemy, um, they, um, th th they're very animated by a hatred of um, people of color and women and um, also socialists. Um, socialists and socialism um, are um, always um, an animating enemy for, um, for fascists and, um, and in as much as they hate uh, Nancy Pelosi or Joe Biden or people like that, it is because they fantasize that those people are socialists, <laughs> you know. So they, uh, I mean, I, I think that you know we, we and we see this in the sort of particular way that um, um, Alexandria Ocasio Cortez was targeted um, by the violence um, on January sixth. Um, I know I'm sure Algier will talk later about the threats that Kashama Sawant receives from these far right elements. And um, and so you know we really need to think seriously about what are what are our, um, you know how how do we how do we as socialists um, respond um, and um, and you know and honestly not spend so much time worrying about their free speech rights on Twitter. I mean I, you know that's I, I, that's really um, that that to me genuinely is a side issue. Um, other, other things that are really particular about this moment are, yes, the Biden administration, um, having the Biden administration in power instead of the Trump administration 
is um, um, not a triumph of the socialist left, but it is a triumph of many, many grassroots activists left of center um, who um, worked very hard to make this happen. Um, many, um, um, like, um, and, um, and, you know, many, many of them much more progressive than the Biden administration. Um, and, um, and it is a, um, um, a significant, it, it's, I think it's significant that, um, you know, by 7 million votes or so, um, the far rightist um, in the White House lost. I think that's significant and encouraging. Um, and I also think that, um, that it's, um, it's, it's pretty significant that um, the first few days of the Biden, or first, you know, week or so of the Biden administration um, has been marked by um, a lot of moves that um, um, that were, are not as centrist or right wing as I would have expected. Um, there's some, um, uh, you know, if you look at his executive orders, um, almost all of them are um, are things that we on the left would consider good. Um, you know, they, I mean, they are almost all um, um, rollbacks of um, things that Trump did. But we know that you know Democrats in the past um, don't really spend that much time undoing Republican policies unless there's significant um, unless there's a significant political reason in the form of um, force, progressive forces on the ground and um, world historical crises. Which brings me to my next point. We face several of those right now. Um, we have a deadly global pandemic um, and. Um, 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 and a um, reset related to that, um, a um, almost equally deadly recession, um, and um, and we're also facing climate change as so existential a threat um, that even the bourgeoisie is having to um, acknowledge it um, and um, and and find them um, and and you know f make some gestures um, toward addressing it. So I think that these are, um, you know, this is some pretty serious context item. I I'm intrigued, Joe, that you framed this discussion um, as um, 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 with a versus in the, um, in the title. I, I wouldn't say it's versus. I think this is actually a good moment for socialism. Um, I think crises, are a good, um, are, uh, crises are often um, a very good time um, for the left to advance. They, um, they, um, they give us um, a lot of opportunity to work in coalition with non-socialists, um, both against the right and to pressure the center. Um, and they also give us a lot of opportunity to um, make the case against capitalism um, and um, build the socialist movement. So, um, so, so socialism, I would quarrel with socialism versus American reality. I think American reality um, might well be a socialist um, opportunity in 2021. Yeah, no, I mean, you get my vote. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we could, I, I, don't, I don't know that we had a unity even among our editorial board on the verses. I think there's different ways to yeah, frame, but it, there's a dialectic there for sure, right? I mean, I guess the question is, uh, we want to foreground the, the way in which we need to address the uh, 
the obstacles as well to, to realizing those hopes, to concretizing them, yeah. and, and, the, and the way in which the concretizing of those hopes might require forms that are, are new and novel and, and not necessarily what socialists often sometimes uh, in, the, in earlier moments have, have assumed would be the, the manifestation of those hopes. But yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, we always yeah. like to think about language as well. Um, let's bring in Kazembe here to, I mean, there's a lot on the table already, Kazembe, um, and uh, you should feel free to respond to anything that's been said. Um, but I'd also love to hear your kind of independent take on this moment we are again, as we, what I'm calling the tail end of the beginning of 2021. Uh, what is the outlook, at, you know, at, for, as a left organizer uh, operating out of New York City, but obviously thinking in broad national and international terms, as far as I understand your work, what's your read on this moment we're in? What the what the dangers are that haven't already been articulated by uh, our comrades on the call, and what you see as the 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 opportunities of this moment, as well as maybe obstacles that need to be addressed to achieve those opportunities uh, from from your perspective. Yeah, um, first of all, again, thank you so much for having me. It was wonderful to be here, wonderful to be here with such great friends and comrades. I want to shout out my old boss, Liz Mestris, who's on the call today. I just saw Oh, hey, Liz. It was awesome. Hey, Liz, I see you. Hey, I was squirreling dude and stuff like that. It was a little, we used to do this back in the day at the Breck Forum down in the village, except that, you know, we used to have wine. <laughs> Right afterwards, I was like, we can maybe have some wine after. You got your wine together, so that's good to know. Um, I guess for me, from my perspective, I mean, I guess I feel a couple. I feel a few things. I feel that um, I do feel that you know, this. I always tell people all the time that you know, when when Dr. King went out to the march in Washington, he said, um, uh, you know, he didn't say like, you know, I have a plan. He said, I have a dream. Right, and you know, saying, and he he provided a strategic vision, and a vision that really kind of connected the dots between, um, you know, connected ourselves to nature, to a commons. He talked about rivers. He talked about mountains. He talked about a lot of things in which you know we, we that we shared. And I think that you know what I really feel in this moment right now is about like this idea around like you know what we really do share in this particular moment. Um, we've seen 15 to 25, we've seen close to 25 million people in the streets um, shouting Black Lives Matter, um, you know, saying as a universal hashtag, you know, saying against racist oppression, um, you know, and we've seen a movement that, you know, that's kind of jolted, um, you know, someone like Joe Biden to have to take on these radical ideas, right? And, you know, and, and let's face it, I mean, Joe Biden has a very low bar because, like, Basically, like if Joe Biden just simply governs, like that's just like already that's a win, right? Because we haven't had. I mean, if you think about it on a, on a deep level, like one of the things that you know, one of the re, one of the reasons we're in this predicament right now is because just the lack of governance, right? Um, you know, um, Donald Trump did everything he could do in his possible power to script the government of all of his functionality to treat it like an ATM machine. Um, to like, you know, um, you know, even the way in which he even engaged in the pardon process, you know, just like, you know, being out his, all his, all his friends and, you know, all this other, all this other stuff and like, you know, you know, and, you know, and that's, and that's like across the board. So that, so that kind of fraction that we see in society, you know, was, was a result of that lack of governance, that lack of ability, but we, we can't really stop there, right? We need division, right? We need to be able to really articulate what, you know, what the horizon is for not just ourselves, but for the for the whole entire world, and that's so that so that so that means that for a large for a large part of it is that 
you know, we acknowledge the problem. We acknowledge the fact that, you know, um, you know, progressive forces are, fight, are facing a global right. Um, you know, this is a right wing mess, like, you know, not just like lodged within the United States, but it's lodged within like Brazil, um, in India, in, in Great Britain. Um, you know, um, we, we realize that, you know, this right is one that has a very um, sophisticated communicative strategy that's really about the big microphone. Um, you know, those of us who are in New York City from back in the day realized that this goes all the way back to talk radio. And our talk radio has kind of manifested itself into like the internet, you know, and now into the conspiracy theories, um, you know, and that, you know, in similar ways in which QAnon works is a similar way in which like, you see conspiracy theories working in like places like Brazil and WhatsApp. Um, so like, you know, so what is our strategic vision? What do we want to build at this particular moment? What is, what is it we want to see? And I think that this is a time for us not to shrink down. There's not a time for us to not to be small in our vision, to settle for the crumbs. I think there's a time for us to be like big, you know, and to really make bold de declarations around that, you know, that, 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 you know, that Liza had said very eloquently that crises can actually be good, right? You know what I'm saying? And this is a fact, I agree with you, Joe, that this is actually a beginning. Um, in terms of the, the, um, the, the verses part, um, I thought I was on verses. I thought I was on the rap show, but I didn't bring my best verse. Uh, but I did say this, man. Um, I think the American reality is the only thing that, that's stopping us is like, is, is our belief in each other. So like when Bernie Sanders like loses in South Carolina because they tell African-Americans that white people won't vote for something that black people will get, you know what I'm saying? Which was a line that was kind of used. You know what I'm saying? That's, a, that's something that we have to fight in terms of the imagination, right? In terms of that, that united front that we all want to want to have and want to see. And so I think that that's part of the, the fight against that American reality. Because American reality is always about holding back the forces of history. You know, it's, all, it's always about like telling us what we can and cannot get. And let me just say that too, that, you know, you know, you know, um, you, know in, you know, the brother uh, uh, Elijah would also talk about this as well, but, you know, anti-socialism and anti-communism is connected to anti-blackness. Yeah. You're saying that the two go hand in hand. Yeah. So, so back in the day when we were talking about Obama not being a citizen, he was also called a socialist. He was also called a communist, you know? So these two, these two things work in tandem. So we have a united front against these racist forces that are also anti-socialist because they, because at the end of the day, they, they, this, these people were never happy with the end of the civil war, never happy with the, the outcome of the civil war. They were never happy with the women's liberation movement. They were never happy with the gay movement. That's why they're out here protesting for these ugly ass statues, you know what I'm saying? But, you know, but, but, I think in a large sense, our vision is much bigger and grander. And um, I think it's much more beautiful. And that means like, you know, universal jobs for all, universal health care, um, you know, um, and, you know, in, you know, inclusive of, you know, the unmet demands of black labor um, and uh, freedom of like, you know, for immigrant, for, for our immigrant brothers and sisters. And um, I think that that's what we have to speak into existence right now in terms of this kind of a socialist uh, uh, um, moment possibility um, hopefully, uh, prophecy that we're living in at the moment. Zembe, I find your words really moving. I mean, a number of things that you said, but that last phrase, one of the last phrases you, you use, speak into existence. 
which I think captures something powerful. And also it does make me reflect back on, you know, the, the comment about the title of the, the show, which my, one of my producers pointed out to me, we did put a question mark at the end of that <laughs> prov provocative title, but actually, I mean, but no, but not to be silly about it, I mean, Kazembe, you're, you're referring to American reality. I mean, it very much seems like a reality that needs to be put in quotation marks. You know what I mean? Like the American, the ways in which American subjects or, you know, good American are taught to think, uh, what is possible and what is not, right? The, the way in which, I mean, and I, and an educator, I can't help but but make just a very brief comment before we go back to Algier, uh, and 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 hear a little more of a, a kind of on the ground report on some of the some of the right wing backlash that that your organization, I know Algier, is at the forefront of fighting in Seattle. Mm -hmm. Um, but, um, you know, but this idea, I mean, how many times have I been in a, in a classroom of people in person or on Zoom and, and everyone in the room basically agrees, yeah, we need to do, make some big change, you know, uh, there should be more, you know, uh, we should uh, challenge and, and, and socialize media or, or, or we should have, we should overthrow capitalism. But then, you know, you ask the question, well, uh, well okay, so why don't, why don't we make it happen? And then students will say, oh, but nobody else out there will think that's possible, right? Like there's a way in which, Ameri it's like very American to be like, think that like, oh, you can handle the truth maybe, but nobody else can. So you might as well not even bother raising it. So that's why I feel like that phrase you just made about speaking into existence seems to be very powerful. This like the question of how do we smash or transmute or melt away this sense of impossibility that is actually even in contradiction with our own better, no better selves, oh. our own better knowledge. Akizembe, uh, I, I spoke over you there for a moment. Could you, you want to respond to that and we'll go back to Algier? Oh, no, I mean, I'm just gonna, I mean, I'm just gonna respond to like the semantics of it. I mean, you talk about quotation marks and like, you know, and question marks and stuff like that. And I, I'm always like, you know, when I was growing up in Harlem, like, you know, like Algier is my home homeboy. I was on 155th and I think, you know, I, I don't know what screen he was on, but like, um, you know, like I used to like, you know, they used to say to me that, you know, they were like, I was dyslexic and, and it turns out like, I just, at that, I just read in between the words. Um, but one of the things I always, I always thought about in this period right now was that, you know, Donald Trump always used the period. Like, you know what I'm saying? He was his, Donald Trump's like language is very choppy and very much like, you know, cutting off a train of thought. You know what I'm saying? So he was like, bad, too bad, loser. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? The way in which- right. bad, like, stupid, like, yeah. Stupid, you know what I'm saying? And he would cut off like a, a way of thought. And like, you know, and I, and I always argue with people that we need to go from the, the Donald Trump period to, to, to what I call the James Baldwin comma, right? And James Baldwin, who was an elegant black gay civil rights writer, also socialist, right? Used a comma, right? And the comma is about um, polyrhythm, is about, is about, is about, is about both and, is about like a level in terms of like, you know, accepting contradictions Except in the fact that things could be, you know, one way and also another way at the same time, you know what I'm saying? And so I think that that's the way in which we have to start thinking about mm -hmm. some of our politics in terms of the ways in which we kind of like meet ourselves and the ways we we be. And so I think that you know it's a, it's a it's a beautiful time because I feel like there's a lot of potential out there. But I think that, like you said, it's it's a matter of like build, building that those layers. And like I'm sorry, like I'm I feel sometimes like a, a, a bad about this because then like I feel like. I can say it as an artist, and then I can look at people like Liza and LG and be like, y'all help me figure out how to, to, to the final details and stuff like that. So I'm gonna leave it to my brother over here. He's gonna tell me how to do it. I'm sorry, bro. <laughs> no, 
I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't want to speak for anybody, but I, I don't hear any need for apologies. I, I really appreciate the way you, you know, you, you bring it back to also not only the question of content, but like how we think, right? And, and the kind of culture, cultural questions. And because I do think sometimes the things that shut down thought and possibilities aren't necessarily a matter of disagreement, but also a way that things are expressed and perceived. You know, I think that especially in a media saturated culture like ours, that that is important. And uh, uh, thank you for that, Kazembe. Algier, I'd like to kick it back to you. I know that, you know, you've been involved. I mean, uh, Liza and, and, and Kazembe both spoke about uh, the right wing, right wing offensives, you know, neo-fascist movements, uh, grassroots, friends in high places, global networks. Um, I know that you have been involved, your organization, your primary organization has been very involved in fighting one of these right-wing attacks, which it may be on, on folks' radar, but I wanna make sure it is. Could you, could you give us you know, your, your take and, and, and a report on what's been going on in Seattle and, and, and in terms of the support, the defense and the attacks upon you know, one of the higher profile locals, uh, socialist elected leaders, uh, Kishamas Wusuwant, um, you know, what, what's the deal out there, Algeria, and what, what lessons are you, are you drawing from, from that ongoing campaign? Yes, I mean, when we, when we think of the rise of the hard right, uh, when we think of right-wing populism, it's, its birth really flows from the fact that we've had 40 years of neoliberalism. We've had a Democratic Party uh, that has been unable and have aided and abetted the, the type of conditions that exist among the working class and poor, and particularly that of the white working class and poor in the different segments and regions of the country, of the nation. Um, and so when we think of uh, what is happening in Seattle, it's, it's an outgrowth of a response, certainly by an independent socialist like Shama Sawan, a member of Socialist Alternative, uh, that from the very moment she took office in 20, uh, elected in 2013 and inaugurated in 2014, up to the very moment that she's still in office, um, she has been uh, linked uh, with social movements and social struggle of the working class and poor of Seattle, um, and that she has used uh, uh, her office really as a bullhorn, as a platform uh, for those struggles and say, I'm not just a legislator and I'm not using my, my city council seat in the Seattle City Council uh, as a career ladder of boosting exercise. And in fact, I consider myself a worker's representative. I take the, I take the average wage of a worker um, and everything else is donated back into the movement to build movements, to build social struggle, uh, to build the capacity of the working class to fight for the things that they need and want. So from the very beginning of the fight for 15, uh, Seattle becoming the first uh, city uh, to have a $15 minimum wage, all the way through BLM, all the way through renters' rights, uh, uh, against uh, the, the fossil fuel corporations, tax Amazon, which we were successful last year uh, in instituting that brought $240 million per year uh, to deal with the question of affordable housing and the housing crisis uh, in Seattle. And now today, um, there's a right-wing uh, uh, grouping uh, that are, have launched a recall uh, campaign against Shama. Uh, led by Egan O'Ryan, he, he was the Amazon candidate of 2019, led by Martin Selig, uh, who's a Trump supporter um, and a billionaire ICE landlord. You have uh, from the Republican Party, John McKay, who's a former U.S. attorney attorney under George W. Bush. And also, this is the, the this is the crazy this is the kicker about bipartisan bipart by a bipartisan approach. Uh, he is close friends with the mayor uh, Durkin, who is a Democrat. In fact, we will say a corporate Democrat. And then you have figures like 
uh, Airbnb CFO, CFO David Stevenson and Merrill Lynch Senior VP uh, Matt uh, Westfall. So what you have, you have the corporate Democrats, you have corporate America, uh, and you have the right wing going on the offensive to get Shama out of office. Why? It's not just because uh, she's just a socialist. It's because she's an effective socialist, that she, she uses her office really to amplify and organize working people and the poor. And because she's been able to win victories, that is the big danger. That is uh, why she must be taken out. And what we have done over the past period is that um, we have launched the uh, an offensive campaign against the recall. Right now, it, the decision uh, has not been made by the Washington State Supreme Court that the recall can can to, can go can go forward. But what we have done, we've launched our campaign to build up the type of support uh, among labor activists, DSA members, uh, uh, public officials, uh, known scholars, and, and organizers, and begin to say, in order to defeat the recall, we must amplify the fact that if they're able to get Shama Sawant out of office, 150 DSA members who are in public office should be very, very weary because they will go after them at some point, certainly with different type of uh, different type of approach, but certainly they will go after them. Why? Because particularly if you use your platform as a public representative, you can uh, and, and also gain victories, material victories for working people, you are you are absolute danger to the system, to the status quo. And my last point is that Shama uh, is, is not a Democrat. Uh, she's an independent socialist, belonging to a socialist organization uh, who's democratically accountable to the movement and to the organization she's a member of. And so it, it raises the question around, uh, can we continue to use the Democratic Party as an instrument uh, to run uh, campaigns and initiatives, particularly around points around this forced to vote uh, uh, um, a question uh, around Nancy Pelosi and the squad. And so those, 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 these things raise a lot of questions that we have to talk about. I think, frankly, I think Shama is a great example of what independent working class politics can look like on a local level and even on a statewide level as well. Yeah, really interesting, Algier. Um, and just for those who are following along uh, here live, uh, there's been some links in the chat box for Solidarity, uh, the Shamaswant Solidarity, Shamasolidarity.org. We encourage you to to you know to link into those to those networks if you're not already there. I mean, I think you raised some other questions to me, and we appreciate that report, um, Algier. Also, the questions you raised about you know what it means for um, the, the, the struggle of the left's relationship to the Democratic Party. Uh, you know, to what degree, you know, can the progressive elements of the uh, of the Democratic Party continue to be, you know, kind of one to support left causes? To what degree is there the basis for splitting off some of those, you know, left Democrats in another more independent direction? To what degree can uh, left Democrats or even centrist Democrats be pushed in, as 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 Liza has framed it, the context of crisis and a, and, a, and a social movement on the street? But I think there's no way that the, the the, the comrades of this show, you know, we can get around the question of, of the need to build independent left organization as well. Uh, Liza, I wonder if you could step into this, both not only the, the broader question of how you see this question of kind of what we often on the show frame in terms of the inside outside question, right? Inside outside sometimes understood as inside outside electoral politics, but also in terms of inside outside the De Democratic Party in particular. Um, 
I'm curious on your views on that theoretical practical question, but also I, I, I'd love for you to give us also a report for those who haven't been following DSA's many successes, I know, including in your neck of the woods, uh, Jabari Brisport, who we're still looking forward to having on the show at some point, um, who, who I, I believe you're, you're close to, who is one of those successful stories, one of those 150 that Algier just mentioned. Um, I'm curious, you know, what your take on those successes are, also how, how the story of those successes also relates to the story of the threats that, that Chama Suwan is facing, you know, what can be learned from, you know, the, the, the experience out in Seattle in terms of the DSA breakthroughs. Um, there's a lot there, uh, the, the yeah. local and the more, the broader, but I'd, I'd welcome your thoughts on, on any or any or all uh, levels of that. Yeah, um, well, I have been, I've, I appreciated the update from Algeria about the Kashama situation because um, I have been following it with interest. I think it has, um, I, I think that all, um, all socialists should be, um, you know, eagerly attending to this story and for news on how we can, how we can support her and, um, and socialist alternative um, in Seattle right now. Um, as far as our, I mean, I, I, I guess I, I don't really, um, I, I don't really um, think, I, I think that the question of how socialists should relate to the Democratic Party is pretty situational. Um, like that, um, you know, in, um, in the situations that I have been following in, um, like, like in New York City, for example, um, we now have, um, we now have six socialists in the state legislature um, and um, uh, five, five of them are, um, are DSA, um, we're, we're DSA backed candidates, but one of them has just joined um, DSA's, um, you know, socialist elector, uh, electoral um, group. Um, Emily Gallagher, we didn't endorse her, but she is, she, she is, she is with us. Um, and the inside outside strategy is really pretty serious um, in, um, in, in that, con in the context of NYC DSA. Um, we don't just um, elect them and then, you know, send them off to, um, you know, um, make friends with the other Democrats, <laughs> like, um, you, know, you know, and um, which I think is, um, um, a pretty would be a pretty perilous strategy, and is sort of historically the, um, the, the has has been the, um, the 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 main option. Um, we um, um, the they meet um, they, they they meet every week with DSA members, um, our elected uh, officials. Um, they um, the the DSA is. Um, very much shaping the agenda that they're following in the legislature. Um, we don't think of it so much as, um, you know, the, when we had just one um, legislator, the model was, um, this, the, the, there was sort of a, an accountability model, which is, you know, she would do things that people didn't like and DSA members would yell at her on Twitter about it. And, you know, that was pretty much <laughs> the, the model of accountability. And that's not very good, right? Um, I mean, that's like not very effective. Um, and so, uh, so, so the, 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 the model has really changed um, the, um, the, so that, 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 um, that DSA is, um, um, DSA has a legislative agenda they um, meet with the elected officials um, every week. 
um, the um, the um, the DSA is also um, um, helping the these elected officials to use their constituent offices as organizing points. So um, so really organizing. Um, for socialism and, and democratic socialist priorities um, out of their constituent offices while providing constituent services. So it's a very, um, it's, it's a pretty, um, it, it's, it, I mean, as inside outside strategies go, it's pretty layered. Like the, the relationship between the, uh, the elected officials and the movement is pretty, um, is, is pretty intimate at this moment. Um, um, and, um, you know, I've, I see a lot of different, um, um, there are always a lot of different ways that this can play out. And um, of course, the Democratic Party um, is, um, you know, I, I mean, uh, is, is obviously not in its own, on its own, ever going to be a force for, um, for socialist change. Um, but um, as a vehicle for building socialist power, our particular experience in New York City has shown that we have come a lot further this way and built a lot more socialist organization and won more concrete gains for working people than we had in the past when we attempted to run candidates on the Green Party platform, for example. I'm not saying that that can't work, but our particular, and I really don't have any grand theory about it, but our particular experience is this has worked a lot better for our organization. We have come a lot further um, in terms of what I would what I would say would be the um, the, the two main things that uh, a socialist organization can do, which is to grow and introduce more people to socialism and to win um, concrete gains for working people that um, make all of our lives better. We've just been able to do that better by using the Democratic Party as a tool. That is not to say that that road is not fraught with peril. And that is also not to say that you can't um, do it differently. I think it's really um, interesting and great to see what um, Kashama and the Socialist Alternative have, have done. and. Um, and I'd love to see them do more and you know, build, build more inside outside power. Yeah, Liza, thanks so much for that. I mean, it's difficult for me. I wanna to go to Kazembe in just a moment as another New Yorker to get Kazembe's sense of this too in terms of, but I wanted to ask you first and then to Victor Wallace, our respondent who I know has profound thoughts on some of these questions. Uh, Liza, could you, um, you give such a great like kind of layered like framework, you know, for thinking here, which I really appreciate. Just to sh sharpen things up a little bit for, for folks at home, um, would you say one or what are like one, two, or three things that um, concretely the the socialist block of uh, of these kind of, of New York elected officials now, and, and of course their supported movement and organizations are pushing for right now that maybe that, that wouldn't have been possible before. Like mm -hmm. in what sense has even though it's not a majority or anything, but having six socialist, you know, elected officials in that, you know, and that you mentioned, um, what, what does that mean? Uh, you know, what is something that wouldn't have been possible that now is perhaps possible, not guaranteed, but possible because of that change, just to concretize things a little bit. And then I'd like to get Kazembe's thoughts on, you know, on, on the lay of the land in New York more, more broadly, yeah. and then maybe Victor for a kind of uh, a broader theoretical point as well. Um, Liza. 
Yeah, well, I definitely want to hear their thoughts as well. Um, the um, so, so, I mean, with only one socialist legislator, we um, we were able to um, win um, a um, uh, um, we were a, a number of um, um, huge victories for tenants. Um, more um, the, the the biggest set. It was the first time that. Um, Tenants uh, um, ten that tenants had won more than a defensive victory in like thirty years in, um, in New York. Um, like there were the, the there was a, the rent protections um, and um, were vastly um, expanded, um, and and that was with one um, socialist legislator. Um, the, 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 and we we won those gains um, in um, in two thousand nineteen. But now um, we, we, we do think, even though there are only six and there are lots and lots of other people in state government, um, we do think that, um, that um, it has really shifted the um, horizon of possibility um, combined with the other crises I mentioned. I mean, you know, it's, it's not just that we have some socialists um, in, in the legislature, but also we have a deadly pandemic, um, a horrific recession, um, and um, um, and these urgent crises that need to be addressed, climate crisis as well. Um, some things that um, that um, are um, are seeming newly possible um, as a result. Um, the um, the taxing the rich um, is um, is always um, always very politically um, fraught in New York City because the um, our, our ruling class is extremely well organized. Um, we have a lot of rich people and they really don't want to share their wealth um, as, as rich people generally don't. Um, so it's a really very concrete and basic um, class struggle issue. It is, it is not only a socialist issue, um, it, we have seen um, liberals since Adam Smith have <laughs> been in favor of taxing the rich, but in 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 America, it has taken on um, um, the um, um, any kind of redistribution has been vigorously resisted, and so it has taken it 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 probably does take socialists to win this. Um, so we see um, we so we see um, more concrete. Um, um, steps toward, um, toward toward potentially taxing the rich. Um, the other thing that we were seeing um, much more um, on the horizon on, on the horizon of closer possibility um, is the New York Health Act, which is a single payer a bill to do single payer in New York. Um, the um, the there is a um, uh, assemblyman who has uh, Richard Gottfried, who has been in the assembly for decades, and wrote the bill, the um, the healthcare act years ago. It's been um, it's it's been in the legislature for a long time, um, and um, um, and um, he said he said recently um, on a um, on a call with the new DSA members that, uh, with the new DSA elected members. Um, that um, you know, if it passes, it will be thanks to um, all of all of us who you know voted and worked for for, for these people. He 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 see you know he has 
really felt like kind of a lonely voice in uh, working for single payer um, and um, and 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 it, it may be um, it may be newly kind of on the um, on the horizon of possibility. Um, also, I mean, and and I should say, like people have been fighting for these things for years, um, but um, but the um, but having um, having having socialists and having um, the possibility that um, a socialist and socialist organizations could primary the Democrats, you know, because our, our primary campaigns have been very successful. Um, I think um, all of those things. Um, add a little bit of, of, um, of, of force to the fight. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's difficult not to draw an analogy to the national level and just think about the, the impact of the Bernie Sanders campaign within the Democratic Party, even though not a Democrat per se, versus the Ralph Nader campaign. I mean, I supported both of them, right? But it is, I mean, and again, I, I appreciate your comment about the need to be attuned to local environments. I don't want to make any sweeping generalizations. And I think it's also, it's been pointed out by one of our Facebook uh, viewers, uh, Ben Mansky, a regular on the show as well, that the same kind of attacks that have been directed at the overt socialists have also sometimes been directed at, at green elected officials where they've actually made grounds. Chuck yeah. Turner is a case here in Boston I'm, I'm familiar with based on my geography. He also mentions Natalie Johnson Lee in the Twin Cities, numerous green elected officials in Madison, Brenda, Con uh, Brenda Conkle, for instance, uh, Ben is not able to join us online, but he's on Facebook. Uh, thank you, Ben. But, but um, you know, I think it, it, it is food for thought, right? I mean, to, I think this question of the, the, the strategic, strategic opening of primary, you know, the, the, the primary as, as a strategic yeah. venue, I mean, it's something maybe we should even just do a show on the nuts and bolts of how you can challenge your shitty Democratic you know, <laughs> representative in, in these so-called yeah. blue states of Massachusetts. Um, Kazembe, I'd like to kick it to you, um, you know, as a New Yorker, you know, as well as, uh, you know, a kind of visionary, I mean, I, you know, Liza was speaking a little bit of your language too, you know, in the sense of that expanding the horizon of the possible. I mean, I, and, um, you know, I mean, what do you think of, I mean, I don't, I don't want to put you on the spot with like, what's your view of the, the changes um, in terms of DSA's impact in New York, but more broadly, I mean, I'm curious what your view is on the relationship between street and um, and social movement organizing uh, more broadly and and electoral struggle inside and outside the Democratic Party. If you want to kick that aside and, and talk about another way of transforming and expanding our sense of the possible, um, then I welcome that as well. But uh, as a as a New Yorker, it's hard for me not to uh, it hard for for me to not want to hear your take on on developments locally uh, in New York City. And then I'd like to get Victor Wallace in our conversation as well. Well, I mean, I'll say this, and I, I'll take, I'll try to take the hard question in terms of this. I'm, I'm coming in from the mainland of uh, the Bronx, which is like, you know, I think Liza is like connected to down, <coughs> like, you know, downtown in Brooklyn and LG, I think you're still in the Bronx, right? Or you still, you might be uptown, you know, <coughs> but any event, um, I'm, in, I'm on the mainland of the Bronx. Um, is the mainland is connected to the United States, the only bird that's connected to the United States, right? Um, to the United States mainland. And, you know, and it, it's a bird that I think that, you know, when from you know, looking historically, you know, it, it produced like co-op city, right? Which is like where I'm sitting here right now, which is the world's largest cooperative housing uh, development. Um, you know, and then you have um, amalgamated houses, you know, uh, you know, that was founded by Sidney Hillman, which is a you know, Jewish socialist. So, these ideas and you know, you have people like Vita Marcantonio, um, you know, and Ben Davis. I mean, so the socialist tradition in politics goes a long way back in terms of like, you know, being impactful in terms of New York City. 
And then I think if you take it even further, you know, New York City and New York State has the highest level of union density, you know, and like various militant trade unions, 1199, you know, with a deep, deep tradition in, in the service of feminism and black liberation. So, I mean, there's a lot of ways in which all this kind of works. But I think that what happened today, what I think that was happening is that, um, and we've seen it in terms of like even the ways that Trump even called the cities. I mean, the cities have gone leftwards. I mean, there's been a rapid municipalization movement that has been going on for the past 20, 30 years that, you know, and, and, and you know, and it's been very smart grassroots folks who have been involved in that. And I really do want to give deep props to Kosama Sawant for being one of the first to actually do that, along with the late great Chokri Lumumba. They were the first socialist mayors and city council people to be starting this revolution. And so I think that, you know, we say yes, absolutely, defense is Kasama Sawant to the fullest. Um, and I think that, you know, that kind of resonates back to the questions that we have now, because in terms of social movements, you know, the social, the question around what a social movement is, social movements come out of a necessity of people who've been left out of political life. You know what I'm saying? So the, the, the largest social movement has always been the movement for black freedom. You know what I'm saying? Followed by movements of gay liberation, followed by women liberation, because those are the movements in which they largely were left out of trade unions, left out of, you know, um, civic organizations, stuff like that. So we had to create something as a pressure point to do that. And I think that, you know, and so I think that given that, you know, there's always going to be an outside, there's always going to be a sense that, you know, that sense of democracy is going to go in. So that for me, the question of that, that, that democratic part, then like that, democratic socialist part of it means that everyone gets to participate in society as a citizen, you know? And I, I would say that, you know, one of the things that, that Trump tried to do was that Trump tried to create a, create a situation where there was a, a very def, defined way of who was a citizen and who was not, right? And that's been the work of the Republican party all, all, all along. And so, so in, in the South, you know, for example, you have a situation where like, you know, you know, you know, large swaths of black people couldn't even vote. You know, saying so have been kicked off voting polls and stuff like that. But then you have like another contradiction in the society too, with like large amounts of people, for example, who've been part of the prison industrial complex and mass incarceration. You know, saying this, you know, saying their citizenship has always been kind of questioned. You know, and so, you know, so and not to mention all of our immigrant brothers and sisters. So I think that you know, at this point right now as we're talking about socialism and these economic policies and what we need to do, we also need to talk about big D democracy, right? We need to talk about visions in which a big D democracy exists in which all people are able to participate in full, 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 full force. And that also means that the, the, the levels of power, the organic levels of power are also leveled to people who are able to participate in grassroots you know, decision-making, you know, say on a very basic level. And I think that that's going to be part of our strategic vision. So let's go, let's go forward with like, you know, this socialist moment, but let's not lose that, 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 you know what I'm saying? Let's, 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 you know what I'm saying? At the risk of sounding ridiculous or provocative, let's recapture democracy. Let's recapture democratic, you know what I'm saying? Let's recapture that for people's ability to really participate fully in their lives all, all in one. Yeah, Kazembe, I think that, I mean, powerfully put, I mean, is it possible to put it as a question, you know, that, and, and Victor, maybe to kick this to you too, that, 
I mean, your, your book, your first book that I read anyway, was called Democracy, is called Democracy Denied. I encourage folks, I hope we can get a, chat, a link in the chat uh, box for that to check it out, especially those who are teachers or who are in organization and trying to orient folks to thinking about these big questions in a clear but yet radical way. I highly recommend this very readable, it's actually five lectures that Victor gave in China um, that then were that he that were so uh, so sharp he, he he published them as a book. But the question being, in in some sense, to make democracy, even formal democracy, even so-called bourgeois democracy or electoral democracy, I don't want to call it bourgeois democracy, but you know, real within a country like this would almost be a big step towards socialism, even if it wasn't socialism in content explicitly. I know on democracy now earlier today, I, I heard there's you know reintroduction of of legislation to give to give DC statehood, yeah. right? And and I mean one of the things you have to kind of admit, even whatever the limits of a certain kind of woke liberalism is on and a certain kind of Biden uh, anti-racism, like we are getting some discourse about like why is it that Wyoming has you know uh, this represent you know the same representation as California. Right. I mean, I was thinking as, as you were talking, Kazembe, I mean, how many people do we have locked in prison uh, or locked out of voting rights because of prison? Um, I mean, certainly we have more than the population of, of several of those underpopulated, predominantly white Midwestern states. Right. I mean, how many senators should the brothers and sisters in prison get? You know, I mean, it seems to me, I mean, there is a way in which a certain notion of democracy, you're calling big D democracy, can actually be quite radical in its implications, especially in terms of the class and race composition of this, this republic, all the way, going all the way back to its, you know, its racist three-fifths of a person constitution, as well as this composition of the Senate, the Electoral College. I mean, I wonder, you know, about the possibility of, not just the possibility, but the actuality and the stirring of a kind of deep democracy movement that whether it's socialist in name maybe or you know in, in form or whatever in appearance may have a real socialist potential which i'm sure is conscious in some places and maybe not in others i don't know if you want to respond to that a little bit before i go to victor i mean you said it probably better than i did i'm just kind of reflecting back what i heard with some particulars but uh, i know kazembe do you have a thought on that before we kick it to victor wallace no, not really. I just want to listen to Victor Wallace. I can listen to Victor Wallace all day, actually. Yeah, yeah. We need more Victor Wallace. Victor, Victor. Um, great. I'm getting, uh, getting Also, let me say one other thing while Victor is composing his brilliant thoughts here. Uh, <laughs> you have, uh, not to put you on the spot or anything, we have some great folks, great folks I know and great folks I don't on this, on this Zoom right now. And we'd love to hear your voice. And so we are just a little after eight. And after eight, we go to our audience for at least the next half hour. As long as our guests can stay with us, maybe even a little little later, uh, even if folks have to, to hop off at, at 8:30, as we promised them that a 90-minute event. But um, please do indicate you'd like to speak. Either post your question in the chat or just send us the message that you'd like to speak. And we want to get as many of your voices here. Speaking of democracy, um, we want to hear from you, uh, Victor. Yeah, uh, thank you, Joe, and thank you all of you. This this has been a great conversation. I, I think that socialism has always been uh, an extension of democracy and that, that's what we're uh, concretely thinking about now. I, I mean, I, I think the, the major issues have all been touched on, but I'd like to just mention a few things that have come up recently that bear on this. And the most alarming thing to me that hasn't been mentioned yet is the censorship being conducted by these various social platforms. They've completely, like uh, one of them completely closed the account of the British Socialist Workers Party, for example, and all the time, uh, constantly, when I look look up some reference on some issue, I run into a, a, a YouTube thing that says this has been taken down for some reason. It has nothing to do with that. So one of the things that we'll need to think about is, in fact, uh, how we can 
develop a, a means of communication that's not dependent on these platforms because we've depended a lot on them to get around the limitations of the mass media. And in a sense, up to now, it's been quite effective in allowing us to do that. And I think the communication of uh, organizing things and even ideas that don't have to pass through the filter of, of the mass media has been great, but we're in danger of losing those platforms and we'll have to establish them in some kind of new form. Uh, related to that, and I, I think the pretext for the censorship is this idea of extremism. And extremism is one of those uh, sort of uh, uh, loose phrases that can be applied to whatever the user wants to apply it to. And of course, from the standpoint of the uh, corporate establishment, extremism applies every bit as much, if not more so, uh, to all of us uh, as it does to the, uh, to the fascists who invaded the capital. And so we, we have to be very clear in, the, in, in our public uh, statements about um, helping people to understand what, what's involved. I mean, in a sense, uh, to me, I've always viewed the existing society as a society based on, on extremes and that we're the ones who are trying to establish some kind of reasonable correspondence between what people uh, are and what they can do, you know, so, so that everybody, the, the whole idea of equality of opportunity uh, in a radical sense, which means to a large extent, uh, equality of results that you have to have real services, real benefits, uh, that, that that has always been a revolt against the extremity of the social polarization um, imposed by capital. Uh, one, one of the things that this uh, whole issue of extremism raises is the double standards. And I think a lot of people have been made aware of that uh, by the contrast between the way the police treated the invaders of the capital, as opposed to the way they have treated protests against police brutality, against police murder. That has been uh, something very important to bring out. And the one thing that I, I would wanna add to that whole public debate is the fact that the kid gloves that the police applied rel in relative terms to the capital invaders are not just a, a matter of uh, uh, they're not being black because not being black is not necessarily a protection because in some of the environmental demonstrations, student demonstrations, demonstrations against NATO and so on, even uh, predominantly uh, Euro-American people have not been immune to receiving uh, police mace and, and assault. I, I remember a picture of, uh, of the police assaulting several women sitting in a circle at, the, at one of the environmental demonstrations. So we have to be very clear that the, that the real issue is the, is the class issue underlying this and that the racial thing is a, is a, is a pretext in a way to, uh, to avoid facing the, uh, the class issue in a sense. Finally, the, the one other point that I would like to make incidentally, and it's, it's not really in contrast to any of the things you said, but just com complementing it in a way, is that so much of the discussion that's now being carried on is around the domestic issues. And it's the, the domestic issues, those are the ones in which Biden uh, is being able to carve out a, a, a slightly different path from what uh, from the, the previous administration. However, on, on, by contrast, in relation to foreign policy, uh, we have an image of almost total continuity. And so we need to, in a way, that, that's in a way, way of saying we need to rebuild the peace movement. The, there, yeah. there hasn't been a visible peace movement for so long. And the peace movement draws our attention to the fact that foreign policy, and as, uh, as we know, is the, the, the uh, 
foreign policy is the area of total ruling class consensus and on which there's the least uh, public discussion because, there's, because there is so much of a consensus. So democratizing the discussion, democratizing the whole process means drawing foreign policy into the discussion. And I guess the most direct ways uh, of doing so, uh, which um, many people have recognized, of course, is to uh, challenge uh, the military budget, the militarism and so on, and uh, may, uh, recognize that the uh, undoing that whole military priority is really a kind of uh, necessary condition for getting the kinds of uh, progressive social policies that we're fighting for. Good, thank you. Yeah, thank you, Victor, so much for that, for, um, for broadening our perspective and, and also drilling down on some important issues here. Yeah, who are the extremists, right? Um, and how do we link these, you know, these uh, surging domestic movements against police brutality and, and other racial injustice and, and, and radical inequity and uh, to, to, to the pressing need for an anti-imperialist or as you call it, a peace movement? I mean, it seems to me, right, a, a truly global Black Lives Matter movement would have to talk a lot about the, the, the predominantly non-white bodies getting hit by all those drone strikes and occupied by all these military bases. And um, absolutely, uh, so, so profound. We actually have other great profound thinkers on this call right now. I'd like to call on two of them to offer questions or comments, and then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll definitely go back to our, our panel and Victor as well. Um, I have Mark Soderstrom, also co-producer of, of Shelter and Solidarity with a question, and then uh, Mike after that. Um, and I know we have Liz Mestres, formerly of the, the you know, uh, who's shaking her head at me, doesn't want to be put on the spot. Uh, we have some other great folks, Avi Chomsky, John, John Trumpauer, um, you know, folks I know and folks I don't, uh, but let's start with those who have actually volunteered, Mark and Mike. Oh, thank you, Joe. Um, I would really love to hear each of you sort of specifically address what, what you see as the future relationship between socialist organizations and organized labor, right? I mean, Joe Biden just came out for 15 amazing right but is this is this a time where we want to put real energy and real commitment to things like the push for card check um is this a time when we want to put real energy and make a center in our talking points some of the repeal of the limitations of taft hartley um is this is this an opportunity where we could actually redress that um and and part of that is then also how do we negotiate the, really the relationship between so much of labor, organized labor nationally and its commitment to centrist Democrats, right? Do, are, could, we, could we wean them away by actually taking real commitments um, in the interest of organized labor? And I'd love to hear your thoughts. Thank you. Great, let's take one more before we kick it back. I like to try to get as many voices in as possible. Mike, are you still on, on the call? Yes, I am. Um, I'll try to be as concise as I can uh, with this. Uh, re regarding, uh, this is more of a comment that I'm just posing to, you know, putting out there. And, uh, you know, I'd like to hear from whoever wants to respond to it. Uh, you know, like starting with just the name, American Realities, I I'm actually very pessimistic because these American realities that the left is facing or what the left has been facing for what almost it's practically its entire you know existence in this country all, you know almost I mean that's it might sound like an exaggeration but it, it's, it's really not 
And, um, you know, it, it's, it seems to me, uh, you know, even, even though I'm a supporter of it, that much of the social democratic left, and that's really what we're talking about here. We're not, you know, we're, I mean, that's, that's the basic um, Im implementation that needs to happen before we're even really talking about socialism. You know, it's for us to even get the kind of social democracy that's in uh, that's in Western Europe. Uh, unfortunately, I don't see some of the more prominent uh, elements of uh, the social democratic left in this country being, you know, particularly well positioned to face that. Um, you know, I, there, there's uh, been you know leaders in the the BLM movement who've been claiming to kind of generally uh, speak for you know. Uh, for black and indigenous, uh, you know, people of color. And then you see something like, and I'll, I'll post a link to it in the chat. There's a, you know, Gallup poll from, from June and July of last year, where, you know, 61% uh, of black Americans said they wanted the same amount of um, police presence in, in their neighborhoods. And, and then you uh, see something like with DSA, which is an organization that I used to be in that I have a lot of great respect for and all the people who've been part of it, part of it are still part of it, you know, Harrington, Cornell West, you know, et cetera. Um, when you have, you know, Adolf Reed being silenced by the DSA, you know, Afro-Socialist Caucus, and then, you know, in the platform, you have Open Borders, which the Cato Institute loves and is, you know, publishing comic books, endorsing now. And you also have police, you know, police abolition as a part of the platform. Uh, that's something that, you know, if, if, and then you have things like the spectacle of the 2019 National Convention. Well, if things continue in that direction, you know, I'd say good luck with getting a lot of Americans of every ethnicity, of, you know, of, of any, you know, sex, whatever, on board. Obviously, we can be in our, you know, uh, urban enclaves and look at our DSA chapters or whatever, or, you know, kind of social democratic organizations and be very happy. Uh, but what are the inroads that they're, you know, really making in the 80% of the rest of, of the country? Um, and, and I'd also agree with Victor Wallace, um, uh, pretty much every point he made and also regarding the peace movement as somebody who started out in, in, in the peace movement. I'd say actually where I'm less pessimistic is, um, sorry, Victor Wallace, uh, um, there, there is has been a lot of uh, action around, uh, especially um, the, the the civil war in Yemen, and uh, you know identifying uh, our role in that. And uh, I was active in that uh, before the plague struck us. And that's you know that's actually what I'll end with. You know, I mean, in terms of like we're talking about abolishing the you know the police and everything, which I just think is it's just not the not something to even be uh, uh, toying with right now is concrete policy, and you know. What do we really need right now? We need uh, 3M. We need uh, Bi uh, Biden to, to, you know, enact the, what is it, the Defense Production Act and get 3M to start sending everyone N95 masks. Because this, uh, you know, this, this um, virus is mutating. It's more transmissible. It's, we've known it's been airborne for a while and it's killing thousands and thousands of people, you know? So I'd say, that, and that right there, that's not even a socialist concern. I mean, that's, that's just an existential concern. So I'll stop right there. Okay, Mike, there's a lot in that comment. Uh, just one thing I, I just wanted to just to just distill a little bit before we give it back to our panel. I mean, Mike's asking a lot, but I mean, the question of, I mean, I, how do we understand an, you know, an abolitionist um, 
perspective on policing that can actually resonate outside of urban, uh, you know, urban areas, uh, you know, and, and where the left may be stronger. Um, Mark, I don't want his question to be lost, also asking about the opportunities or the necessities of engaging in the labor movement, both in terms of leadership and in terms of on the ground, the, quite the possibilities now for pushing for card check union recognition and uh, pushing against some of the reactionary aspects of Taft-Hartley. Um, no, I think that, that um, but Mike's closing comment also brings up the issue of how to the degree to which as the, even the so-called liberals and, and let alone the, the, the Republicans make are in, show themselves incapable of even running basic social services. And even like, I mean, as Zizek put it once, I'll cite Zizek here, you can't depend on liberals to, to you know, to like deliver the things of, that liberalism promises. You need a left to even get, you know, the things that liberals promise because things have gone so far. Um, that that can you know that's an opportunity as well as some people would see it as a kind of a trap. What if the left the left does nothing but reproduce you know what what liberalism used to? Um, but nonetheless, I think it's very important. I mean, a lot of what Mike says. I'm going to shut up here and just kick it back to the panel. So we have a question about the labor movement, and then a question about um, you know can the social democratic movement really uh, own its own promise and, and resonate beyond um, some of the places where these the the, the, the uh, policing uh, the anti policing movement has been most uh, prominent. Wants to step in there. Uh, Kazembe, I know you mentioned an abolitionist perspective in some of your recent writings. I was listening or reading before the show. Um, I don't know if you want to step into that. What does an abolitionist perspective mean to you and, and how do you see it as, you know, conversant with a social democratic um, platform as well? I don't know. I mean, well, I mean, I, I guess, I guess, I guess, I mean, I guess the thing about it is like, I mean, we can, I mean, we can always go into um, um, these kind of like debates around like um uh you know the difference between rural and urban but i i don't like to go into those debates because i feel like that's the framing of the ruling class in a lot of ways you know what I'm saying and you know and when you see what where, where the rebellions where black rebellions have happened they've happened in places that were outside the urban areas that happened in like ferguson you know what I'm saying they've happened in, in baltimore they've happened in like middle america they happened in minnesota Right. And so like, you know, so like, so like these are places where, you know, where like, you know, actually, you know, I make the, 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 the argument that, you know, places that are actually divorced from capital have the most potential in terms of like rebellions, um, you know, uh, you know, uprisings. I mean, you know, we've seen like, you know, chicken plant, you know, we've seen like wildcat strikes and chicken plants, you know, say around COVID and, you know, all these different things. But I think the question for us is that, you know, like, when these things happen, it's like, where do we support them, right? And how do we get this? So, so in large part, like, you know, socialism, you know, you know, is, a, is always a learning experiment, right? I mean, the, 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 the word socialism itself came from a printer, you know, saying, so it's like socialism has always been connected to literacy and learning and being able to learn. So how do we extend that and actually extend people's power? And in terms of like abolition, I mean, shit, I mean, I'm sorry, I should have cursed, but as you know, say in terms of like abolition, I mean, like, you know, I mean, like, there's always been, I mean, I think the, the thing about it is like, when you talk about abolition, you also have to connect it to like, the fight around labor and wage labor. So like, you know, to me, you know, you look at the first abolitionist moment was the Paris Commune, right? You know, saying the Commune, which this year, I think we're celebrating the 150th anniversary of the Commune, right? Was, was an attempt at, you know, ab ab abolishing, you know, you know, and bringing to, you know, law enforcement. So law enforcement, the, the, the pay of soldiers 
in the Parisian army was the same as, as bakers, right? And alongside that, what did they do? They they um they abolished like you know night night baking. You know what I'm saying? What was night baking? Night baking was the fact that people had to bake through the night, you know what I'm saying? And like, you know, and produce bread for the Parisian masses. They abolished it. So why did they abolish it? So what could they have more free time? Right. So they can go and enjoy themselves. They can go and have a good time and learn and get be, be able to be literate, right? So this question around abolition has always been also connected to this question around, you know, free time and literacy. And, and you see this also connected also in terms of like obviously, you know, the, with the term, you know, has lots of roots of in terms of, you know, you know, the, the fight against chattel slavery um, in this country. So I mean, so I think that, you know, there's ways in which, you know, we have to be able to expand, you know, the level in terms of the, the, the conversation. Um, certainly, you know, there's a lot of like the, you know, the, the, the differences between urban and rural. Um, I'm not going to deny that. Um, but I think that is also going to be a question of like, you know, let's not look at, let's not de deny the potential of rural communities to actually take leadership in this, you know what I'm saying? And I think that, you know, I mean, you know, I mean, we just saw like, you know, I mean, just in terms of, a, a, you know, a basic social democratic conversation, I mean, we just saw Georgia go blue. You know, so it's like, you know, so there's you know, this there's, there's conversation around the potential of a new South that's really kind of interesting too. So I know that's a little bit um, jump, jumbled up a little bit, but I, I wanted to say that that, that term and I maybe just uh, toss to someone else and to talk about a little bit about this, but also the question of labor and a little bit more too. Yeah, thank you, Kazembe. Let's go to Liza or Algier. There's still a lot on the table. Mark's question about the labor movement, as well as many issues from, from Mike's comment. And then we're going to go to uh, Karen uh, for a next comment. Algier or Liza? How about Algier and then Liza? Okay. All right. Thank you. Well, I, I think Mark's uh, question, I think, is, a, is probably one of the key questions. And that allows us to examine what is the state of the labor movement. This year, the AFL-CIO will have elections. Trumpka will be, I think, retiring. Um, and he's already self, he's already selected someone. And there's certainly a lot of talk around Sarah Nelson and the role that she's played, particularly in, in the years of Trump uh, and the government shutdown uh, and the calls for general strike. You know, labor organizing, particularly in the period of COVID, has been very interesting from nurses uh, protesting the lack of PPE uh, Amazon workers organizing the warehouses, uh, 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 Google workers uh, organizing a union. Um, during the rebellion, the FLCIO building was vandalized, but what that building really represented. To me, that represented the fact the irrelevancy of the FLCIO. And if it's going to be serious, it's going to have to look to organize the unorganized. It's going to have to break out of the comfort zone uh, to which this idea and, and, and lead to an adversarial position uh, than this question of junior partnership with capital. Uh, because after Charlottesville, Trump uh, was the last, one of the last figures to leave Trump's uh, uh, economic council. While all the other CEOs left, Trump was the last one to do that. That's an embarrassment. And it says how far we've gone back. We've regressed. With, our, with a more radical labor movement. And I think this period, you will find many young people uh, who are doing that New York organizing. And I would even argue that we need new unions uh, to emerge, to really uh, put the, the type of blowtorch to the fire, uh, to a uh, blowtorch to the feet of the, the labor bureaucracy that exists 
in this in this country at this historical moment because the numbers are disastrous. It's very comparable to the 1920s in the sense of union or a union density and the number of cities and states and regions of the country. I mean, the rise of the right wing really flows from the fact that the labor movement uh, uh, was unable to have pitched battles against the bosses and the deindustrialized uh, uh, sectors of the U.S. economy. And so, if the labor movement is to be revitalized, the socialist movement is going to have to play a vital role in this process. And I think we're seeing a lot of that new organizing coming from a lot of new socialist organizers, many of them in DSA, many of our members in SA is also involved in new organizing here in New York, like Housing Works as one example. One of our members became the president of the Postdocs Union, uh, one of the first uh, Postdocs unions to be established uh, uh, on, in the nation, in fact. So there's something brewing, but there's a lot that has to be done. Yes, absolutely. Liza, you next. And I understand, Liza, I know you need to go shortly after 8.30, so I want to, this may be your, your closing comment as well. So if there's other points you'd like to make besides addressing okay. the questions, well, we'll no, I'm around, though. I'm going to to the question. Um, um, just, I agree with um, Algier, there are a lot of exciting um, rank and file socialist um, labor organizing right now. Um, and, um, and at that, um, I mean, I think, I think during the, I think the pandemic was a great spark to a lot of that, surprisingly, given the difficult conditions of organizing. Um, uh, we're also seeing a lot of new um, new labor organizing in media industries, my, my own industry, which is, um, which is surprising to me and great. Um, and um, also um, teachers, we're seeing, like, um, I mean, we, we're, we've been seeing um, tremendous teaching teacher organizing over the past few years and um and 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 certainly certainly a lot recently um and as for like you know is is the biden administration a good time to make demands um for by the labor movement absolutely i mean it would be crazy to leave uh, anything um on the table i mean it, you know the, um they he just made some um um, pretty decent moves at the NLRB and has centered the $15 minimum wage. We should not be satisfied with any of that. I mean, like, like just the fact that he made these, um, these, the, these moves so early on should be taken by the labor movement and the left as um, an, an opportunity to press for much, much more, you know, um, and, um, and so, um, so, so I'd, I'd, I'd say yes to that. And as for the, you know, oh, you know, the, the sort of, we always get that criticism that, you know, socialism is only um, making progress in these, um, in these urban bubbles. Well, you know, a few years ago, we weren't even doing that, you know? So I think that, like a lot has happened recently, but second of all, um, I mean, you know, people would say, oh, you know, these urban progressive bubbles, like we couldn't even get a city council person, you know, I mean, like in, like just like in, you know, 2015. Um, so this is like, so, you know, like a lot has changed and, um, and urban bubbles as, um, um, as, as have already been said, are also um, bubbles of intense capitalist power. So, you know, we don't necessarily, they're not necessarily that much easier 
um, to do places to do socialist organizing. Um, the um, but I but I would say um, the um, the rural areas of this country are um, very rife for socialist organizing. Um, I did a I interviewed um, a number of socialist organizers in Tennessee recently, and um, they were, I mean, the conditions that people live under, I mean, if, if you get sick in parts of rural Tennessee, you cannot get to a hospital because, uh, because our, our for-profit system doesn't find it profitable to have a hospital in these under in in these very low population areas, so you have to um, you have to have helicopter insurance in case you get sick, um, because a helicopter is the ambulance. The helicopter is the only way that you are going to get to the hospital. So if you are a poor person in parts of rural Tennessee, you have to pay for helicopter insurance. Of course, most people cannot afford. Um, helicopter insurance in addition to all the other expenses of their lives. So, I mean, just the basic, you know, um, vanilla social democracy that, um, you know, many of us are, are demanding in the form of things like single payer healthcare, um, you know, as the comrades in Tennessee have, have pointed out, um, has tremendous um, potential and sounds pretty good to um, a lot of people. Um, you know, so so I wouldn't underestimate it, and I would not make too much of um, um, of, of the way some of these pe some people try to frame um, fr frame these th frame things as as culture war issues. I'd also say um, that the, I mean, in the form of police abolition, I think there's also um, there's a, a real analogy um, between um, how Victor Wallace spoke so eloquently about. Um, you know, defunding the military and its connection to um, socialist priorities. I mean, we're seeing a lot of people starting to speak of defunding the police in similar kinds of ways. That you know, rather than investing in um, in violence um, against um, our people, let's um, invest in our people. You know, I mean, and um, and that's um, you know, the, in um, what we have actually. Um, so a number, a, a slate of socialist um, city council people um, running on, um, running, running very strong um, defund the police um, platforms, and it's um, it's not simply um, an anti-police agenda. It's also an agenda for um, you know socializing those resources into um, you know things that the community really needs. So, so just to um, throw that out there, I think there's a there's a parallel there. So many great points. I mean, I'm rec I'm recalling from Liza's comment uh, something that Terry Eagleton wrote, the the Marxist literary critic, but he's also you know chimed in on a lot of other issues. And he said basically, you know, to be a socialist revolutionary, you just have to have, take the radical position that everyone on Earth deserves indoor plumbing. Like, that's it. Like, you know, because in order to achieve that minimal basis of like of human dignity, you have to, re you would re to really take that seriously. The key thing is that to make it universal, to not have anyone locked out of that basic thing would require revolutionizing so many systems that are currently, you know, dominant or normalized. And I just think, so there's huge, no, no doubt there's the basis for 
socialist organizing. I guess the question is of how we can actually devote or resources and cultivate the, the political lines that can bring that, that, that possibility or help bring that, contribute to the fruition of that possibility. Uh, we have two, I mean, I don't wanna shut anything down. I know we're at 8.30 and you may have to go, Liza. So if you do, I wanna say thank you for being here that I'm not asking anyone else to leave, but we told folks this would go till 8.30. We do sometimes go till nine with group discussion, but Liza, it's been wonderful having you here. If you are- I do, thank you so much, everybody. Um, it was really a great pleasure to talk with uh, with all of you. Great, thank you, Liza. And we'll, we'll check out your next piece in Jacobin or The Nation or whatever, keep in touch. Um, we have two folks in the queue and, and I'd like to get those voices in. Um, and then uh, give uh, Algier and Kazembe chances for closing remarks, maybe Victor as well. Uh, first we have Karen, and then we have Seren, one of the co-producers of Shelter and Solidarity. Thanks, Joe. This is Karen Pomerantz, and I appreciate this time. I'll make it brief. Um, I think the things that we discussed like abolition and anti-imperialism policies can really only be accomplished if we have state power. And I just think it's kind of naive to think that we could elect those things in. And really that requires a massive movement. It requires a communist movement and a communist party to actually organize that. And it requires a fight against racism to bring people together. So it may seem pretty naive or crazy, but we're naive to think that we can use electoral politics to win this. I think we can use electoral politics and the DSA to meet people who are interested in building such a movement, to fight for things like universal toilets or healthcare or whatever we really need on a global basis, not to mention vaccines. So I think that, you know, we need to extend the envelope of what we're fighting for. And I think that really requires a communist movement and to learn from the mistakes in the past so we can do it better this time. So that's basically what I wanted to say. Thank you. Thank you, Karen. Well said. Seren? You know, I had any number of questions in mind, um, including addressing the question that Victor raised around Facebook, a question around uh, Michael Passerini's comments about social democracy. Um, and I, I, I do have, want to make a short comment on that before asking my question, which I think is one that's going to be consistent with Karen's uh, question um, or point. Uh, uh, I, I just want to observe that social democracy is really an outcome, sometimes an unintended outcome of very vigorous socialist movements pushing for something, especially in Western Europe, in the context of a global rival to capitalism. And, and also uh, in the context of uh, movements that want something much more powerful than the actual social democracy that they ended up with. And so I don't think you end up with social democracy by asking for social democracy. Um, uh, so just want to leave that point there. And I think that's the way we have to think about things like open borders and abolishing the police. Uh, but my question is the following, both Socialist Alternative and DSA have pursued uh, you know, genuinely national strategies, albeit uh, by engaging in local races and state assemblies and that kind of thing. Uh, another strategy inaugurated uh, in um, 2013, the same year that Sharma Sawant is elected, was uh, that uh, 
implemented by the folks around Cooperation Jackson and uh, with the election of Chakwe Lumumba, which uh, involves an electoral component, but is also very strongly connected to a grassroots solidarity economy movement, a cooperative movement. And, um, and these are not localist movements, although they pursue their strategy at a local level. And so in some respects, they're, um, their strategy is about building a base in regions that capitalism has chosen to forget about and where the proletariat has been removed from the workplace and now exists as uses for capitalism for either symbolic reasons or as consumers. Um, what about these other strategies pursued by Corporation Jackson, by Corporation Humboldt? Uh, I'm sure that Kazembe and Algier both can speak to that. Thanks. Thank you, Seren. Thank you, Karen. And of course, I would just add that, of course, Seren's point about building base areas where there's been capitalist abandonment could also be seen in an international context, right, where there's a, there's a history of that sort of uh, organizing as well. Uh, Algier, uh, and then Kazembe, and then Victor. Okay. Well, I, I think when we think of certainly the abolish the police, abolish prisons, in some ways, that's a very important step forward in the sense of the imagination of young activists, of young organizers trying to imagine a world where the carceral state doesn't exist. Right? What's lacking with that imagination is understanding. I think as Karen pointed out, um, is you can't abolish the police or prisons without understanding you have to abolish capitalism. You have to abolish imperialism because they go hand in hand. It's birth really it's a simultaneous process um, to defend, to protect the power of the prestige and the private property of the ruling class, of the ruling elite, not only in the United States, but around the world. And so the question of a mass movement, but a sustaining mass movement that has leadership, that has organization, that is in every segment of where the working class lives, where they eat, where they sleep, is going to be absolutely crucial. And I think the left, if it's going to politically mature and develop, it's going to have to be able to speak to the working class and have that dialogue and have even arguments, even around police in the community itself. And so the idea of community control over police is something that doesn't come up too, too often. And certainly in the Seattle, uh, in our work in Seattle and Shama's council office, we advance that type of demand to really talk about what does community control police, but also what does community control over public safety looks like? It's not just the idea of getting rid of the police alone, but to deal with the fundamental issues that cause uh, levels of criminality, that ca cause levels of, of social decay. Um, and so that's something that I think has to be part of this conversation. I think we have to fight for the, the, the question of the reforms. That's very important. We fight for it in the militant way, but the only way that we can sustain those reforms is with a political, economic, and social alternative. I would argue, and I think Karen is right again, that the question of socialist alternative is, 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 is on the agenda, has to be put on the agenda. Certainly, how do we get there? And so the component that has been missing for the United States working class is the question of its own political organ its own political organization, its own political party. I mean, when I, I became political in, in the early 1990s, 
I joined Socialist Alternative. At that time, it was called Labor Militant, and we were part of a project called the Labor Party, which was stillborn uh, many years ago because it wouldn't run candidates. It wouldn't really challenge the oligarchy and really challenge the two-party system, particularly the Democratic Party. Um, but nonetheless, that gave us a, a semblance of what a social democratic party would look like within the United States, within the context of the United States. And that's why the Sanders phenomenon defeats both in 2016 and 2020, it's so disheartening. I mean, today we talk about the meme and he's at the inauguration and his little brown mittens, that's all cute and that's all well and good. But it says something, it's almost, uh, it's almost like sticking their finger in the eye of so many Sanders supporters, so many progressives that saw that moment, what Sanders represented for a new generation that as, uh, I think as, as the brother was pointing out, uh, Mike, Michael was pointing out that he was maybe one of the rare politicians, public figures that could speak to the working class, that could speak to the multiracial working class, that can go to Trump land, can talk to the Trump supporters and say that, the reason why you're going through the crisis you're going through is not because LGBTQIA plus people have rights or, or black folks have rights or, or immigrants have rights, but in fact, Wall Street is dominating your life. Wall Street caused the foreclosure crisis. Wall Street has put more cops on the street than any, than any other time in US history. And so when he conceded, in some ways he conceded an element of the imagination of, of transforming the kind of American of the American landscape at this, at this juncture. But what I say in my closing is this, what Sanders said that is not me, it's us. I think a new generation is serious about that. And so even without Sanders, a new generation is gonna say it's about us. It's about getting a world where there is no poverty, there's no greed, there's no environmental destruction. And in fact, only we working people, the poor and the oppressed around the world and provide the type of workers' democracy, not just bourgeois democracy, not just empty democracy, but workers' democracy, where working people have direct control over their lives. And that to me is a very powerful indication. And so Corporation Jackson, I think in many respects, is a very important snapshot of another political economic alternative. But once again, if it's still within the confines of American capitalism, under the market rules, they're gonna have trouble. They're gonna have issues that will be uh, dominated by, the, 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 by, by the, the corporate elements of the Democratic Party, by the elements of the market forces, particularly on the question of worker co-ops. And so this is a serious question. I support and I applaud Co Cooperation Jackson, but I do say at the same time that in order for us to have a corporation, corporation Jackson in a real sense, that ultimately you're gonna to have to raise the question of socialist transformation of society where working people really have political, economic and social power in their hands collectively, not only in the United States, but around the world. Yeah, thank you, Algier. Really a lot to, a lot to process there uh, on, on a number of key points. Uh, Kazembe and Victor, I'd love to get both your thoughts uh, I don't know if one of you would rather go before the other. Uh, Kazembe, let's go you and then, and then, and then Victor has responded. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I guess, I guess a couple of things for me. I think that um, when we think about 
you know, the question that Seren kind of brings up, um, I think about it in two ways. I think about it, one is that um, you need to develop dual power. You know, you need to develop like ways in which like people are able to engage in building um, a base, um, you know, directly and actually like, you know, um, and have a hand in actually ruling society. You know what I'm saying? And so that means that also like, you know, so, so the question around cooperatives, you know, is also a question of like building up that muscle for, people, for folks who actually have, you know, institutional memory and be able to think about ruling, ruling, ruling society, right? And ruling democratically. And I think another part of it too, and I think this is something that's really important is about the re-socialization of our people. Um, you know, like, our, you know, our people have gone through so, so much in terms of this like, kind of the selfish nature of capitalism, you know, people are so isolated. And the kind of the worst thing around this particular COVID-19 situation is that, you know, folks are more like, you know, folks have been super isolated from each other, you know, which makes it even more amazing that people have been protesting. It makes it even more amazing that sometimes that you see things like mutual aid societies develop, you know, in different cities around the country. And some of these mutual aid, um, you know, spaces, you know, have been politicized, and uh, many people are, you know, joining socialist movements within that. But I think it's, a, it's important that, you know, that you know that you know the work of cooperatives, the work of developing these like kind of like alternative forms of, of, are of, of, of not just, um, you know, they're not just retreats, but they're actually like kind of like, you know, kind of challenging, you know, like actual capital by actually actually having uh, a space where people can actually uh, exercise democratic control. And, you know, and I think that for myself, I mean, like, you know, this work is very humbling to me. Someone mentioned communism. Um, I don't know, like, um, Frida Kahlo, Paul Robeson, Albert Einstein, uh, uh, Lenin, uh, Trotsky, um, you know, a whole host of people, you know, saying we're, we're on our side, you know, saying, and capitalism still won, right? And you know, saying, and like, you know, and I think that one of the things that I, I draw from that particular time is that there are a lot of lessons to be learned. I think that, you know, there's a lot of things that we need to develop and also learn, put together. And I think that, you know, but I think that, you know, what the brother said, you know, it's not about me, it's us. And I think that that level of coming together in unity is super important right now, you know, cause you know, it's, it's, it's not gonna be just one person. It's gonna be a bunch of us who have to come together. You know saying? So like, I, I try to take this work in as, as humble as possible. Um, I think it's important that, you know, you do the work of like, you know, being a leader in terms of like, you know, leading people in terms of like, you know, teaching people how to read, developing political literacy, developing political um, sensibilities and you know, organize yourself out of a job, you know, um, you know, and like, you know, and center like the leadership of the people who are most marginalized and oppressed so they can be able to take power. Um, and, you know, and I think that we have a very rich tradition that we stand on. Um, so, um, so I think that, you know, like with all that, I mean, I think there's a, a lot more, you know, brighter days ahead. Um, but, you know, but I think that, you know, because we, we, we've learned the lessons that we need to learn and I think that, you know, I think Elijah, you, you touched on this too. The kids of today are much hipper than we were before. They know a lot. And I think that they're the kind of like, you know, it's like Scooby-Doo, 
when they're trying to take the, the mask off. You know what I'm saying? The head. You see it, you like, you know, and the kids are like, they took the mask off their head. They're like, all the kids know it's capitalism. You know what I'm saying? You know, so so I think a lot of times you have more of these kids who are more hip than 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 I was when I was growing up. And so I take a lot of leadership from them as well. Yeah, thank you, Kazembe. I mean, I think this emphasis on the need to and the possibility for incubating and cultivating people's capacities, right? In in both directions and not in some, you know, top-down way, right? But that the way in which the need, I mean, I sometimes I talk about the need to not just over overthrow capital, but overgrow it too, right? That we need to we need to be nourishing the capacities of people to to not only to be read, but like you know, Mao and company said, read and expert. You know what I mean too? Like we need to like, and maybe the, I mean I think maybe we should do a show on co-ops and the and the possibilities. You know, our co-ops just like you know fight. You know, I mean, what how can how does socialism and co-op you know co and cooperatives work together in the history of that? And it might be great to build on this discussion, uh, following up on some of those projects and some of those experiments that some of you have been involved in. Um, Victor, I'd like to give you a, something like a last word reflection. No pressure again, but uh, yeah. you know, I love another respondent comment. And then I'll just make an announcement about our next show and we'll, we'll wrap up for tonight. I think we're almost to nine o'clock. Yeah, I mean, so many important considerations have been raised already, but uh, one way I think I would sum it up is by saying that state power is not an all or nothing matter. Uh, that uh, even if one gets it all at once, so to speak, as was as happened, let's say, in 1917 in the Bolshevik Revolution, that's not a complete uh, conquest of society because all the old habits were still present in so many ways. And when they had to rely on experts uh, from the old capitalist class, as Lenin said in in 1918, uh, this was a concession. It, it meant that the although they had the reins of the state, that was not a complete transformation. And so different dimensions of the totally needed transformation uh, can be accomplished at different times. And so what's just been said about the importance of building cooperatives, developing talents, developing the capacities to rule is one part of it. And we're witnessing different examples of approaches to the conquest of power in different countries, even as, as we speak. So in, in Venezuela, for example, uh, they, the, this, a movement or a political force with a commitment to socialism did get into the position of, of, uh, of state, uh, let's say state authority, state office, but because of imperialism, it was not in a position to exercise complete state power. So there are so many different dimensions uh, of transformation that have to be accomplished in order for it to be complete. And each one of them has its merits and its virtues, and we can have endless discussions about what should come first. But I, th I think we need to recognize that it's not a question of just uh, taking state power all at once. It's a question of developing the movement. And, it, and, and that has to be done uh, in accordance with the possibilities that are available in each country. And I think in terms of the United States, the, uh, the objective conditions have been uh, addressed uh, in a quite representative way in the discussion we've had tonight. And it gives us something to build on. Yeah. Thank you, Victor. I think that is a, is a really reflective closing comment uh, to a discussion that needs to continue. I mean, I, the idea of shelter and solidarity is precisely designed or our hope to create a space off of social media where comrades and friends and new folks can come together and, and get into some of these deep and, and pressing questions in an accessible way. 
Uh, so pleased to have you with us tonight, Kazembe, Algier, and Victor, and shout out to Liza, and to all of you who spoke or contributed to the chat, or who just here to listen. Um, we hope this conversation will resonate and continue, not only when we come back in two weeks with our next show, Thursday nights, every other week,